This is episode 537 of the Eventing Radio Show, brought to you by the Eventing Writers Association of North America. This is Max Corcoran in beautiful, sunny, warm, fabulous Ocala, Florida. And this is Joe in the same place, but a little bit cold yesterday, but now it's back up to absolutely gorgeous again. And you're listening to the Eventing Radio Show. So, Max, how's it going over there? It's going well, Joe. How are how are you feeling? Uh, I'm getting there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting there. I'm feeling. I'm feeling a hundred percent better than ten days ago. I can well, that's that good. Much. Well, yeah. you were pretty tough to get on and show jump. Yeah, after your tumble. Well, ignorance is bliss, Max. And um, there's some fabulous so, photos of you with the emergency crew. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it was great. It it was great until yeah. they pulled out a razor and said, "We've yeah, got to shave yeah, your yeah. chest." <laughs> I'm like, you have got to be kidding. No, exactly. And, because so anyway, long story short, listeners, um, I had a bit of a fall on Buccaneer, and it was um, just a green mistake, and was my totally my, my fault. Um, but I hit the ground pretty bad, and um, uh, Buccaneer is absolutely fine though. He got up and trotted away. He's trotted back, and he's absolutely fine. Nothing wrong with him at all. Um, but it was just one of those one of those awkward falls where he didn't really fall that bad at all. But I hit the deck face first, and. Um, got myself a bit beaten up and um, so uh, managed to get on Johnny and do a show jumping round afterwards and then um, a few hours later it was uh, Gort Glass Crazy Love in the two star and I think Max by then the adrenaline had worn off yeah and I was um, the adrenaline had worn off and i got on and by the time that it came out of the round I was heaving and clutching my chest in which stage the the gate steward said, you've got to go and see the EMTs. <laughs> yeah, it was probably um, a good thing. <laughs> which, um, and so off I went to the EMTs and they decided to hook me up to an ECG because I had a sore chest, which anyway, in long, I'm fine. Shaved chest. It looks like a smiley face, actually, Max. It's got a little. I know it reminded me a little thing. bit of the, um, yeah. you know, the scene out of 40 year old virgin. Oh gosh. Um, <laughs> So it's a little bit less painful than having it waxed, at least, you know. Yeah, no, it wasn't. It wasn't waxed, but it looks like a smiley face. I've got two yeah. eyes and a and a thing for the ECG, <laughs> um, and my heart is in great shape. But um, I did end up with a cracked sternum, which is um, is painful, but it's getting there. It's a bit like broken ribs, everybody. It's like getting in and out of bed is hard, and bending yourself is is difficult, and coughing sneezing. and sneezing oh. is an absolute no no. But apart from that. Um, I'm doing all right, yeah. and uh, my my um, my wonderful working students are riding a lot. They are giving taught a lot and <laughs> jumping a lot of horses <laughs> at the moment while I'm sort of hobbling around. But um, no, it's, everything's fine. Everything's all right. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah. But, but it's uh, it's it's almost December. It's uh, getting quiet. It is. It is. Yeah, I mean, no. quite in some ways. I bet we, you know, because you do a lot of sale horses. I bet people are are busy buying, aren't they? Well, yeah, there has been uh, quite mm. a lot of 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 horse buying, and yeah. uh, two twofold actually. Uh, my wife Ruthie went to Ireland to the Monarch sale and collected uh, a bunch of new sale horses on behalf of clients that 
uh, have arrived. We've got three have arrived already, and one other one's on its way down. Uh, so that's good. I'm stocking up for for January. But yeah. we've had a re- we've had a busy uh, fall autumn. It's been really really good. There's been quite a lot of people in looking for horses, and it seems to get just a little bit busier and busier each year. And I probably would uh, thank the the jockey club for the event for that and the extra events that have been put on in Ocala is just making more people uh, down here and is just got things going a lot more and so yeah people are thinking about what horse they're going to instead of waiting till till january they're thinking about what horse they're going to have for the winter season down here so yeah, yeah no so it's been great there's been quite a quite a bit of horse selling yeah things um so yeah no the new new ones that have come from ireland are fabulous uh, really like them so i haven't ridden yeah. any of them because i'm too broken exactly exactly yeah well, we but got, no it yeah oh, I was just saying, we got some new, so a cool thing that's going on here in Ocala. Another reason to come to Ocala. Um, they, we've got, there's, um, there are three different farms that have been putting on schooling shows, schooling jumping shows um, between Mardanza and Notting Hill and Frederick's Equestrian. And they have a circuit now that they're going to start up this winter, which is kind of cool because, um, you know, it's always good to practice that. And, um, if you go onto the Mardanza Facebook page and have a look, they're starting January 9th. They're doing um, a schooling show at Mardanza and the week after at Notting Hill, the week after at Frederick's Equestrian, and then the 30th of January at Mardanza and on and on and on. So there's a series. And what they've done at the end of the sort of uh, as you're rolling into March, in the middle of March, they're doing a an amateur uh, classic, as they're calling it. Um, a little bit sort of like what the show that we run here at the, you know, eventing pre-invitational, but it's for, you know, it's limited to riders that have not competed sort of above their height. So it's for three foot for people that haven't gone preliminary three, three for people that haven't gone intermediate and on from there and a three, seven class for people that haven't gone advanced. Um, and they've got almost, uh, they've got over $15,000 in cash and prizes for this classic um, which is really kind of cool. Um, but to qualify, you have to have competed in at least uh, three classes at one or more of the of the schooling shows. So you can go to one of the shows and, and jump three classes, or you can go to two shows and jump two classes, one place, one the other. Um, but that's kind of a cool thing, That another cool thing for us that we have to give a shout oh, out. Okay, Max. So, there. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. So I was going to ask you a question, Max. Is that – so it, it, you qualify for the final class. It's not a, a points accumulation nope, over – You just, just got to show up and, and jump in the in the classes it just just it's encouraging you to get to the um uh to to make sure you you can't just show up at the classic you have to be um you know supporting the other shows throughout the season they just want to make sure you support at least one or two of the other shows throughout the season yeah no no i yeah. get that i mean some some of those yeah. points things yeah. go on for so no points yeah exactly yeah. there's no points and then you just have to be good on the day right yeah fantastic well that's yeah, gonna kinda be cool awesome. yeah and, for the people that haven't been to those venues, um, they are fabulous venues, fantastic jumps, fantastic courses, um, yeah. really good footing. Uh, you couldn't really do any better, really. Could it's a you great atmosphere. Sense? Just go in and, yeah. and get around and practice and do your thing, and it's it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's good good yeah. good time. And if the yeah. weather's not going to be good, you just go to the one next week. Yeah. But it, it hardly happens. Exactly. You know? <laughs> Yes. You've got to wait until the rest of the country is under ten feet of snow. Exactly. And then exactly. you're putting on a then you're putting on a, a, a jumper, a sweater. Yeah, exactly. Down here. 
you would call a jumper. We would call a sweater. Light, yeah. Light jacket. A light jacket. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> God, it's funny. Yeah. Isn't yeah. Yeah. But that's yeah. kind of a kind of a cool another new cool thing. Not to mention, save the date for the eventing pre-invitational too, March fourth and fifth. Right here at beautiful Southern Cross Equestrian. Well, when you were talking about atmosphere, do you know what sprung to mind? What? The wood-fired pizza oven. Oh, yeah. They're so good, isn't it? Oh. Yeah. They're so it's, good. And they were at the Jockey Club. Yeah. 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 No, no. It's a it's a fab, fantastic day out. And it's, we are really, uh, really looking forward Humble to Humble Pie. It. That's what it's called. Humble Pie. Oh, it's so good. Pie. <laughs> it is. Oh, it's that's fantastic. what it's called. It's delicious. Yep. Yeah. Well, listeners, we've got a little bit of a Kiwi New Zealand theme for you. This show, we've basically, got... I'm the only American on the show. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, well, yeah, but that's okay, Max. Um, you're <laughs> sort of an honorary antipode, and really, in the whole in a way, yes. Thing, yeah. <laughs> so, but it's a bit of a Kiwi theme. We've got Bruce Haskell coming on to talk about some of the rule changes and things that are going on next year. And as always, he is uh, very, very eloquent and very knowledgeable and has some really good things to say. And then we've got our um, show jumping extraordinaire trainer, um, Kirk Webby, uh, New Zealand Olympian. Um, Kirk helps me a lot with my show jumping and he's been training a lot of eventers now um he's sort of said he you know things get very busy for him which is great but no he's a very very calm natural horseman and yeah. um pretty calm natural cool guy really pretty good rider he? yeah i was gonna yeah, say pretty good rider pretty good rider. Yeah, pretty good rider yeah yeah so we're gonna have a chat to him so um it's probably time we should get on with our show max sounds good so continuing on with our new zealand theme this week We've got our great friend, Mr. Bruce Haskell, on the line. G'day, Bruce. How's it going? Hey, Josephine. How are you? No one ever calls me Mr. Only you. That's quite scary. <laughs> I know. Well, I guess it's some sort of funny little relationship that thing that we have, isn't it? So, listeners, Brucey and I, we've known us, each other probably since we've been riding together in, from since our teens, haven't we? Pony Early club. teens. Pony club days. Pony club. Pony club days. Yep. And... Um, we went up through the grades together and we moved to England pretty much together and we've travelled around the world and done all sorts of this. And now we're starting to get a bit crustier and older. We start to – Bruce has got a position of responsibility and um, I do the radio show. So um, – but, um, <laughs> but, but Bruce is the chairman of ERA. Um, which is the Event Riders Association, as we know, um, the European or well, English one. And we thought we'd better get Bruce on. We like to have Bruce on because he likes to give me a bit of stick, which is great, and I think it's pretty funny. But we'd like to get Bruce on because we want to go over some of the rule changes and, and, and stuff for next year, and it's all fairly confusing. I mean, it seems to be something that we go over almost every year, isn't it, Bruce and Max? Yep. It's a yeah, a fist, a fistful, a clutch, a, a, clutch. a massive amount <laughs> of of rule changes. And so this year, um, one of the hardest ones we're going to have to get our head around, which won't take us long. Uh, oh, it's is all the, the letters. This new alphabet soup. Alphabet soup. So instead yeah. of a four star, it's going to be a a five star, and then they're L. introducing a, a five star a L. new one. L. Yeah, well, anyway. First, I think I'm just going to hand it over to Bruce. 
quickly, <laughs> and um, he can um, he can talk us through the, the the new terminology. This is this is great. You, you've got to kind of embrace that what we're getting to by having a better um, group of people in the eventing committee that are more connected to the sport is you're seeing some changes of kind of whittling down the pencil. We're getting to the sharp end on what do we want our sport to look like, how are we going to market it, and some of the things that have come about, and this has been talked about for a long time, is we want a lower grade. We want to get the people in under the FEI umbrella and start them off. The only way to do that is a one-star, technically. So we all get a little upgrade at the other end and and five-star. So you have five-star Michelin-star hotels and restaurants. We have a five-star, which makes the marketing of it a hell of a lot easier when you're talking to sponsors and, you know, a year ago, a four-star. Well, what's a four-star? Why isn't it five? You know, why is a show jumping got five and we've only got four? So this is a positive right. thing. Yeah. So it, it it has brought it into line with dressage and show jumping, being a five-star, being the, the top. Um, I think we'll probably get used to that pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, and explain the one star to me, Brucey. I mean, I thought it was just a, a money grab from from the FEI to sort of like you know stretch their net a little bit further to get some <laughs> cash. But um, but some may see it's, it's glass it's, half empty, glass half full, Joe. Look, the, no, the, no, I'm just I'm just being devil's advocate yes, here. You are. That's all. Yeah, yeah. Look, cynical side of me says the same thing, but ultimately you've got countries, uh, especially in uh, in Africa, that want to develop their sport. Asia wants to come in, and let's be honest, a one-star at proper level is a big, big leap for them, whereas this introductory grade of 105 gets them under the umbrella without all the pressure of putting them around a proper one-star track. And to be it's fair, safe. what you'd see in New Zealand uh, in a one-star and what you'd see in, in Britain wouldn't be what you'd see maybe. There's too big of a gap for them down in uh, Asia and, and Africa, and I'm, I'm 100% behind it. We, we need to get them under the umbrella. Yes, unfortunately, there will be a cost involved, and we've fought quite strongly that it should never be part of the MER system, that people don't have to go through that lower level to get on the umbrella bracket. So think positive, Josephine. It's absolutely fine. No, I, I, I am thinking positive. Well, tell us a bit about that fighting that it doesn't become an MER. I mean, I I agree with you 100%, but explain to the listeners why that's very important. This was voiced about two years ago, and we made it very, very clear that you don't want that first step on the ladder to be compulsory because there's already a lower, you know, essentially one star, old one star was the first step on the ladder for a, for a young rider or a young combination inexperienced combination coming up the grades who wasn't categorized to put them further back down and make them do a 105 then definitely does that thing we talk about a lot of increasing leg miles increasing cost and let's be honest part of the gripes we get constantly is that a one day event is dragged out over three days and now you you know you don't ever want to be forcing people to make economic decisions to stay outside of the fei framework i can't take five days off work to do a a 105 it, it, you can't make them do that it's it's got to be a cost decision so um yeah it, it has its negatives which the negatives are you're watering down a little bit but are you getting more people under the umbrella and aspirational events the only way you're ever going to get the the newer developing countries up the ladder is by growing the sport the only place to grow the sport is at the bottom end Otherwise, you end up with wealthy elite people coming in at a high level rather than developing your grassroots. So 105 is a positive move. Yeah. And, you know, there's, 
it's probably in stark contrast from five to ten years ago where it was possible for people to buy their way into the top end of the sport, isn't it? Yeah, things have changed. It, it's, a, it's a different sport now. Um, and also, you and I probably teach a, a different um, demographic where people go out and now can buy a horse. They come into the sport later. Maybe they've had families and they've done their education and they return to the sport it's not always easy for them to go up to novice or one star, and, and sometimes that is too big, whereas you put a grade in at 105 and it instantly becomes aspirational and achievable, and I don't think that's a bad thing for people to stay somewhat within their comfort zone or to give them the opportunity to stay within it rather than pushing them out of it. Okay, so moving right along, Bruce, tell us about the, the requirements for the new five-star. Now, this is um – you know, they're asking for a lot of prize money, 150,000 uh, euro, which is 175,000 US dollars, uh, mandatory closed circuit television, minimum of 30 starters, maximum of 75, and 11 to 12 minute cross country. And I, I think this is the classic at the bottom. All weather dressage arena strongly recommended. Oh, geez. I didn't even see that. Strongly recommended. Well, Edmonton and Burley, they've just, I don't know how you, you can't screw with that. I mean. Oh, where's the Duke going to put his sheep in the middle oh, of the look, summer? There's you two know? schools of thought on that. And the, the majority of the riders you talk to sit in the in the common complaint where, you know, the old school will say, well, we had to go around the grass. Well, you know what? You didn't have arenas in those days. And dressage people used to go around the grass and they don't do it anymore. And you want a level, if, if we're talking about a level playing field from, first thing on Thursday morning to last thing on Friday afternoon. The only place that's going to deliver that is uh, an all-weather surface. And yeah. I'm afraid I'm in the camp of going Burley and Babington need to get up to speed. You know, it's we've got portable surfaces you see on the indoor circuit. You've got – you can lay a track down, lift it up, and the Duke won't have to look at a surface for the season if that's his complaint because it won't be there. You can't see it. So <laughs> wake up. Is that controversial? <laughs> no, Bruce. I think it's fine. I mean, like, um, four stars, five star. It's come a long way. You know, um, back in the days with um, Le Moulin, and now they've put it put their surface in. And here at Kentucky, uh, they've got like the most amazing surface um, anywhere around. Poe re- recently redid theirs. And theirs for for years was that horrible crushed sand and the horses never jumped off it, but now it's better. Um, And so, yeah, Burley and Babington are the only ones. But, I mean, they, in a a strange sort of a way, I do feel that they're kind of unique. They probably were the very first ones that started and stuff. But um, from the rider's point of view, yeah, I mean, we spend a lot of money and – like the riders are meant to be the the horses are meant to be the star of the show, and it would be nice to have a level playing field. I mean, I don't yeah, know. I mean, I'm afraid yeah. it's a bit of a boring old traditional English hunting view that if you had to actually look at Burley and Badminton, they're still on a slope, they're still on the side of a hill. That's oh, come on, the sports evolved past that. That you know, I'm not. I'm speaking a little bit like I want to see. I want to see best and and most competitive advantage for all those, let alone those competing, but for the fans as well. You, you, why should someone be slipping in the corner on a wet Friday afternoon who's 
wouldn't have done that if an all-weather surface existed. It's sort of like technology's changed, wake up, move on. Right. No, fair enough. Um, fair enough. And But what about some of these other points which are, are, are quite interesting? Now, the prize money I understand, and I'm this is the question I want to ask, is um, the minimum of 30 starters. Now, well, we have to be, you and I have to be careful here, and this is sort of part of the advantage of how era being open is, is structured, is we need to defend those positions down in Australia that can get to a four-star, who are qualified, who do need access to a four-star event, five-star event, without having to get on the additional expense of getting on a plane and going either up to Europe. Eventing shouldn't be Eurocentric. It, it's you, You've got enough movement towards what's happening in the States with a couple that you still got to get on a plane and go there. Um, 30 starters probably needs to be carefully monitored as to whether the quality is good enough to do it, 1.1, and whether the qualification system underneath that for them to get their three stars is, is equally good enough. Uh, you're still seeing soft three stars in Europe that enable people to get to these places I'm not 100% sure that the statistics always work, and you know I do value the the input of ECHO ratings on this at some point. But let's actually look at the honesty of the competitors coming up. Is are they genuinely qualified? Can you get a genuine field of 30 proper competitors? And I, I would hate to see Adelaide bumped out because it can't hit the magic 30. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, true. I think that and it's, it's just also difficult. People probably would go there if they could, but the travel for the the quarantine and all that for the horses is so it's it's almost ludicrous. So that's you know it makes it very difficult for people to get there. But at the same time, they still need to have a four star down there or a five star, whatever it's going to be called. Yeah, I mean, like probably Joe will back me up on this. That you know, from okay, back in the day, but. I had a horse that had gone around three-odd three-star events and, and double-cleared, and you had a choice of, do I spend in those days 15000 New Zealand dollars to go one-way ticket to UK, or do I spend seven or eight grand for a return ticket to Adelaide? And it's like... No brainer. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm sure that decision is still made down there, and I know that you know New Zealand had a very strong contingent of riders that went across to Adelaide, um, but... If, it needs to be a quality field. I'm not arguing with that. I just think 30 is a bit of a, a number that sometimes may not be achievable, especially in the time frame of how they're dealing with it. You know, do you want 30 quality riders? Do you want 25? What's the what's the optimum? I thought the whole point of eventing is it wasn't supposed to be elite. It was supposed to be accessible. Yeah, I mean, I get I get what you're saying. I, mean, I just I just look at the. The, the scores and things from Adelaide and I, when you're talking about quality, I mean, there's the scores are a lot higher than they are anywhere else at four-star level, you know. But, you know, people, are, I guess, they're getting their experiences. I mean, I'm, back when we were in, when I was in New Zealand, the only four-star option was actually to go up to Europe. The Adelaide hadn't even started back then. And so, you know, we had to sort of stump up and, and away we go if we wanted to go and do it. And that was, you know, some people went up, like Tinks Pottinger, she, would, she took both her horses up to Babington and brought them both back again and things. And, you know, yeah. no, 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 that, that's just kind of yeah. how it was. It was it was just very, very tough. But, yeah, no, I'd hate to see it. I'd hate to see it go under. I mean, like, 
really, I don't know how many, how many interests did they even have this year, Adelaide? I think they had 25 or 26. Yeah, I mean, I think 25 is much more realistic number. Yeah, that you know, especially down that, down, they only down there. Yeah, people that that finish the cross country without jump penalties. Yeah, but you also commercially, you have to think outside the box. You've got Asia, which is strongly developing an eventing scene, and you've got you're in the right time frame for live broadcast. You've got aspirational events that is within three or four hours flying for those young riders who want to see a four star. Want it? It's. I don't think this is in question. It's just a little bit of a parameter of slight degree of northern hemisphere arrogance in that in that comment or in that rule. Yeah, yep, I agree. Maybe Adelaide should be isolated out or, you know, do you really need a 30-40? Well, that's pretty targeted at Adelaide, unfortunately, and I don't think that's fair. I don't think it's fair. Right. Oh, well. Do you think they'll – yeah. Well, at least there's lots of prize money now. Yeah, hundred and fifty thousand euros seems that works. like a lot. Yeah, yeah. Let's see, where's that? Where's that going to come from? So you have yeah. a you have an event that turns around and says, "I can't do that." Is the event going to then not get five star status? Are the other competitors not going to? You know, we, we've seen we've seen it enough times, which is sort of why ERM ended up turning up was. Prize money was bad. It needed competition. If if Babington turned around and dropped the prize money to five pounds, I'd still want to enter it because I'd still want to win it. So commercially, what we're looking at is you don't want to put events under pressure to hit that sponsorship target because sometimes it's not possible. The sponsorship market is changing. It's all about the what digital reach you can get and what you can offer rather than, you know, look, with Mitsubishi's pulled out of Babington, no one's stepped up. Isn't that a sort of a little bit of a warning sign that we shouldn't be putting target prices on how much you can deliver? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And don't forget, also, a reasonably high percentage of that goes to the FBI straight away. So, yeah, that is true too, isn't it? We're not show jumpers. We don't have the reach. We don't have the pull. We don't no. have the money behind it. No, fair enough. Fair enough. And this is why we like getting Bruce on this show because he comes up with these things that we, Max and I wouldn't even be on. <laughs> exactly. You know? So because what I've learned in this process of being here is is this is like I said, it's a it's a sharp end of the pencil. It's whittling down to a point. But also this is an evolving process where I have a little bit of a faith in the system that if something doesn't work, you know, most of the eventing committee or the the eventing population is is sits there and goes, Well, that's not so good. A year later, get rid of that rule. It's no good. You know, so if if you see something you don't like and it's still you don't still don't like it in September next year, tell your federations and move forward. Because you know, part of the process of like if you look at the comments on the inside FBI website, you can see what your national federations have written, and there's some very sensible comments there, and it's everybody's a little bit contested or supported some of the rule changes that are going through. So I'm happy with what where we've ended up and evolving into is finally these channels of communication have opened up. The meeting we had in in uh, London a couple of years ago, which Ira put together, was was the first time we had people from federations sitting down and going, "Let's communicate." So that culture's moved forward. Now you've got people like David O'Connor in there chairing it and actually driving. You know, that's a person that's in touch with the sport. Wasn't saying Giuseppe wasn't. It was just a different management style and a different culture. So I'm happy with it. It's it's working. Right. Well, changing the subject slightly 
to the dressage marking, which I think is actually very interesting. Oh, I thought you were going to change the subject to our snowboard trip in a couple of weeks' time, Joe, but carry on with dressage. <laughs> well, Brucey, I just – do you know what? I got I got my board out just before, and I'm really – I cannot find my new cool Oakley goggles. I don't know where, where they've gone, so it's I'm in a little bit of a stress on whether to – Search the house or just get a new pair on so, eBay really so quickly. So what, what have I purchased for you online today? Joe, what's their technical tip? Um, I don't know what it's called. Is it like, is it a, a bottom protector? Or, oh, I was going to say it's an ass protector, but that's fine. It's um, yeah. yeah, basically stops us hurting ourselves from falling on our bum. Oh, yeah. very good. A little bit of padding. A little bit of padding. Brucey's got uh, anyway, me the padded, the padded shorts. Sorry. Anyway. Okay. So back up to dressage marks, which I find quite interesting, which is the collective marks will be removed from um, and replaced with an overall mark f- for overall appre- uh, impression of athlete and horse. Athlete. That's a, athlete. That's, a, that's a funny thing right there. Athlete. Athlete. <laughs> you know, this, is, this is a great move. It's in line with dressage. And secondly, what they're hoping is the halo effect goes. It's referred to as the halo effect. As ah, in, okay. I am not William Fox, but I'm not Nicholson. I'm not Todd. I'm not going to get the mark for being any of them. We don't walk around with a veil pretending we're somebody else. So this is a mark that says, what, what have we done as a collective unit? Rather than my ditzy little thoroughbred that can do movement, but their living accuracy just got slammed against the European warm blood written by somebody with an amazing name. So, and then some more with this, um, you know, I, I think you're right with this halo effect on, on these, um, you know, it sort of sounds odd that you can't, you know, that each movement isn't scored correctly, but in the, in the end, um, not each movement, but each, you know, submission, blah, blah, blah. But in the end, it probably will make it a bit more level, won't it? Yeah. Essentially, if you look at the four marks at the end of the, the end of the test, we've got at the moment when you kind of, just assume they're an average, and right. that's what you're gonna, that's what you're going to get now because yeah. you can't ride badly and get amazing submission marks and movement. Your movement might be high, but your submission might be bad. You know they're not going to mark the. You know we right. all come out of the test and look yeah. at the. <laughs> there's not one of us who don't go. Hey, look! I beat the horse. I got a seven. Right. Got a six point five. <laughs> exactly. There's not one of us who doesn't do that. So yeah. this now you won't. You won't end up at a finite average, but at least the, the coefficient point, it, it won't influence it so much. You get marked for what you do, which should put a little more level playing field on those that do have horses that are accurate yeah. but aren't extravagant. Which yeah. is not- and, that, and that sort of brings back the whole the new scoring system and everything, isn't it? It just sort of brings it back to the jumping being the being the beef of the of the test instead of the dressage score. Yeah, specifically, and, and that's, you know, we've got the point four time fault coming in on the show jumping, which I think is, you know, that's a, that's a decent change. Um, maybe as a competitor, we're, we're always looking to get under the time, so you're, yeah. you're reducing the finite point between. Yeah. But it, I just always, always think with the show jumping, it's, you should be able to go within the time. I think it should be a bit tougher. I don't know. I always think that the one penalty is actually accurate. I've always been in that camp as well, but yeah. I, I, think I can see I can see the logic behind reducing yeah. it. But what it perhaps does, it makes that for every one second you lost on the old system on the cross country, you had to work a little bit harder on the, uh, uh, yeah. to get yeah. the speed. Um, yeah. 
but it was sort of punishing when it was the CIC the other way around that you might have gone quick cross country and slow show jumping and lost the loss of time. It right. Yeah, I got gotcha. Yeah. Um, it'll just be interesting to see whether they sort of stick with or review the um, time allowed, you know, the reassessment they have within the yeah. first three four riders, whether that sticks in or not. So, you know, we don't want it to be a jump off because it's a little bit of an ugly scene. But yeah, got, <laughs> especially with the vendors. <laughs> yeah, you got, yeah, you, you're, you're lucky. Your boyfriend's a was a show yeah. jump. Yeah. <laughs> so, but let's. There are some creative designers out there and wider lines and insubs. So maybe we'll see a bit of a shift in design technique. Yeah, but it should be about the cross country, and that's probably what we're heading back to. Hopefully, right. Right. Yeah. And then the other thing with the cross country, the new change on that is, um, you know, missing a flag, you know, now it's only 15 penalties instead of 50, you know, that, I, what do you, what are your thoughts on that? It's been, this has been a quite a debate for, for a long time as to what's appropriate and what's not. And this has a link back to sort of through the agenda 2020 process as to what we were doing in terms of live sport, instant decisions, Right, it's got a little bit twisted and a little bit evolved away from what was wrong with the original. That was the you know ask yourself the question: what was wrong with the original rule? Yeah, if you had a run out, you had a run out. There was no question about it. But then Giuseppe in that period came in where did did they jump it? Did they not? And then there were a couple of very high profile cases sort of through yes, unfortunately at four star where they didn't leave the ground, but the penalties were in or the penalties were out and. Yeah, but I also hark back to something Giuseppe did, which was very, very good, which was try to get us to think in terms of an instant decision. Our audience is used to field of play decisions. Our audience right. is used to was the tennis ball inside the line, was the football over the line, was it inside the ball? Right, yeah, yeah, on the line, yeah. What is a repeated lumulum where you're waiting, waiting, waiting for a decision, which which happens too often in eventing. You. You know, how the hell do you think we're going to appeal to, to commercial sponsors when right. you've got them down there, they're drinking champagne, they think there's a winner. I know there's no winner. We're still waiting an hour and a half. Exactly, for people to have a look. Yeah, yeah. Something you did three hours ago is relevant or not. So a bit like we need to move forward and we need to accept it. And a lot of the writers' anti-feeling on this is that you're always trying to protect it if it ever happened to you. And that's great, but that doesn't look after the sport. No. I know Harry Mead worked exceedingly hard and we had a lot of conversations about this as to the wording and what worked. And I sat through the IEOC meeting at Burley and same thing, what was going to work, what wasn't. I'm not 100% sure the wording we've got on this is going to work. But again, evolution, we need to try it. And it's not such a... Its wording is relatively clear in its intent that if you've made the effort and it hasn't gone, yeah, you're going to get penalised. Right, right. If you've, you've not made the effort, you get heavily penalised. Right. If you, you've made a mistake. Yeah, you, you just sort of get – I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. So the problem you've also got is, is from the official's point of view, and it was very interesting to sit through their meeting, is you've got a lot of people who are – either uneducated or not in positions of responsibility before they come and they're sitting on corners and you know that's the only downside of this is is it knocks all the way down through the grades whereas originally the intent of this was olympics four star and anything that was televised so right. you get a 
I don't know, but, you know, the little Costa Rican one star, you get a decision there. Does it really matter? Yeah, yeah. You, it all then back filters up the grade. So I'm, I'm watch, going to be watching this one with interest. Yeah. I do like the shift and I do like the, I wouldn't say interference, but certainly interjection of the FEI legal saying, you know, field of play decisions must stand. We can't go against right. And that there is cameras, there are official cameras, they're not your GoPro and they're not somebody with an iPhone. Because yeah. we really do need to shift on. We need to go every yeah, right genuinely knows whether yeah. in or out. Was I in? Was I out? You know, and yeah. if you knew you were in and in, you're gonna scream blue murder if you put it wrong. Right. But, yeah. Absolutely. So, but yeah, it's it's not a bad it's not a bad set of rules. It's heading heading in the right direction. The, the biggest thing I can pull from this is because you finally got your federations involved. They're finally speaking up. I still don't like the voting process at the General Assembly, but at least in the development of these rules, there's been input from riders, input from federations, input from officials. You know, it's actually yeah. – if, if they – it used to be if the eventing committee created something, we'd all have to fight it. Now the fight is gone. The, the fight is, is, is irrelevant because it's more of a communicative process. It's great. Yeah. Good feeling. Absolutely. But we'll sit and watch. Some of them a little bit. Yeah. yeah. You know, ultimately, yeah. I remember the majority of people that they are trying to protect in these decisions by writing the rules are volunteers. That is true. You're, and that's the thing that people, a lot of people don't realize is that not, no, nobody's getting really getting paid to do this is they're trying to do this for the good of the sport to keep it going on. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and this is, this is rules that, you know, God help you if you're a fence judge at a corner at an insignificant two star and somebody yeah. of high interest with a lot of wealth accuses you of doing something wrong to their, it's, these are volunteers. You can't, yeah. they need yeah. a set of parameters to work under. And this is as tight as we can get it, hopefully. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. it's, it's nice to get through, through to the end of one of the consultation processes on reviews without going, oh, sh crap. Yeah. Lap our sleeves and have a, have a social media battle. It's, it's, right. it's, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's nice to actually have a set of rules that feels like, the consultation process has happened. Right. It just fairly black and white. The gray area gets sort of erased out, doesn't it? It, it does because, you know, like with the, with the 15 penalty on the corner rule, it's going to be probably another revision of wording. Yeah. So watch a few people and I, you, it won't kind of, it won't work for every scenario. We know that, you know, yeah. that because that's just human nature. It won't work. Yeah. But with another revision, it might. Um, but you had, you know, you had some very strong people. Harry Mead had, as like I said before, he has working group, and they were they were inputting. You've now got William sitting as the writer rep, which is brilliant. You know, slightly, he's been there, he's done it. He's he's yeah, yeah. very. All these things have happened strong. to him at least once, haven't they? <laughs> you know? Yeah, and and he's got a good relationship, and is at a point of his career that he will as a writer's representative, no will mean no. He's not going to, you know, he's taken this on as a position of responsibility and I, I totally support him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
Absolutely. So let's real quick on, because they've gone through these blood and whip rules now, because there's been a little controversy happening and they, this is sort of the last of the, of the really big changes that we all really need to know Mm -hmm. about. Yeah. It's look, we had some unfortunate scenes in 2018 that were allowed through um, by the existing rules that were in place. Yeah. You know, whether or not the individuals involved deserve the sort of vilification they got on social media afterwards, that hasn't been addressed. That's something that's maybe slipped the net. Right. But, but at least, again, you enter a competition with a bigger parameter on uh, how's this going to work, you know. Right, yeah. I've got a horse that might cut its mouth if I use the wrong bit or if you don't want people to change their riding style, you don't want people to change how their nature or how they produce. But I think in a way that the one thing we can never condone is blood Abuse. on television. Yeah, exactly, because that just – we Animal have a hard enough time with our sport saying – Exactly. You know, and we just – yeah. And I like the fact that we've they've brought them in line with the show jumpers and with the dressage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, with our sport, there is going to be a horse has an overreach. It can catch its stifle. It's things that happen in our sport way more than what happens in show jumping and dressage. But it is it's getting closer. Um, that sort of used to be a you know there wasn't there were no really sort of guidelines or parameters. So it, it everything got a little bit out of control. So. Um, it's nice to see that now that, you know, it's like, you know, fix something. If you're, if you're continuing to do this, fix it, figure it out. Yeah. 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 And there's a penalty system involved and they've, they've revised the yellow card system as a result and the penalty. So at least you can't be a repeat offender for something, you know, that is actually going on. Yeah. Yeah. You can't kind of, you can't put your head in the sand anymore. Um, but it seems it seems loose enough that there's this that you know it, it, it's a parameter that people can work with, and I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah, because horses bite their tongue sometimes, and they you know things weird things happen. Obviously, it's just what happens, but yeah, yeah, it's again, it's just it is nature, and it's what we're trying to do with them. But we've yeah. we've got to remember that this is a a wider vision of the sport, and yeah. if you allow anything to come in a little bit loose, then it will get I wouldn't say abused, but you don't think twice when the rules are open. You will think twice when they're a lot lot tighter than as they are now, which is great. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, again, supports the the position of the officials and makes it easier for them to then make a call. Exactly. Yeah. It just, again, takes out the gray area, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. As a a sport, we seem to be responsible in terms of managing our own. Maybe last year didn't look like we were. Yeah. I'm with you. I agree. Agree, agree. Excellent. So I, I really urge anyone to go use the Inside FEI website, have a look at the uh, at the articles and have a look at the consultation that went through on Pahavi Federations. You know, there's there's a lot that's gone in there on the discussion document prior to the release of the rules as they stand right now. Right. Um, it, it's a well thought through and well communicated document. It's still got a couple of gray holes in it, but meh, you yeah. can't get it perfect, right? Yeah. Always. That's well, what it is. Yeah. Catch you guys. Yep. Yep. Excellent. Well, 
Bruce, we're going to let you go because it's getting late where you are. And um, thank you for taking time and talking this through with us and giving us all different sides of the viewing points and uh, all that kind of good stuff. And um, have an awesome time skiing. Sounds like you guys can have fun. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll do. It's a bit of an yeah. early. And, um, uh, yeah, we just got back from a three-star in France, which was awesome. So nice. um, can't wait to have a bit of a downtime. Um, so yeah. Um, wielding a hammer and building at the moment, which seems to be my life. So, I'm making <laughs> and uh, we'll actually aim to see you soon. The Eventing Writers Association of North America is the collective voice of writers, equine professionals, and owners in pursuit of enhancing the growing sport of eventing in North America. In cooperation with our members, governing bodies, related committees, and organizers. ERA of NA works to improve the overall welfare, safety, visibility, and growth of the sport. ERA of NA, your voice matters for the sport of eventing. Jump in and engage by becoming a member today. Find them online at www.eraofna.com. Joining us now is New Zealand show jumping Olympian Kirk Webby. Kirk, welcome to the show. Hello. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. So, listeners, I think we've had um, Kirk on before. He has given us some excellent tips for show jumping and exercises. And as we are starting to wind down our seasons and maybe start getting going again, most of us who aren't as lucky to be in beautiful, sunny, gorgeous Ocala, Florida, are up north in an indoor arena and we want to do different things to keep our horses and ourselves from getting stupidly bored. So Kirk is going to help us figure out some good exercises and some things to work on over the winter. So when we come out in the spring, we're ready to rock and roll. Kirk, you're heading up north very soon to do a clinic in an indoor, aren't you? Yeah, I am. <laughs> me. Me. At the time, it seemed a good idea. That was a month ago. And now, yeah. I'm hoping for the best. Yeah. Put on an extra coat. I'll yeah. Extra coats and hand warmers. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So what are, what's, um, you know, we, obviously there, there are some challenges of only being able to be an indoor. What are some of those challenges and what are, what, what are some ways you can use that to your advantage an indoor? Well, the number one challenge is probably the horses never get to go outside hardly because once it gets icy and and dangerous, so they become a little bit more volatile, some of them, and some of them go the other way and become a bit more dopey. So it's always a little bit on edge um, to keep everything uh, safe, I find, especially going to give a clinic or something like that. So usually you hope that, even with everyday riding also, that they get on the horse early. Lots of just walking to warm them up, especially if it's really cold. And that, and that, and at the end of the lesson, lots of uh, walking to cool them down because you you can't be hosing them or anything like that. So it's more just you got to allow yourself probably an extra half an hour to get on either side of what you're doing. And uh, so then I go from there really. Yeah. So, um, you know, this time of year, obviously sort of the, you know, people are either just sort of starting to gear up. What are some very simple, basic things that people can 
think about working on uh, this time of year to start, um, you know, to maybe either correct some mistakes they're making or what, what are, what are thing, good things for people to think about to start working on? Well, when you're trapped in the indoor, you're limited by size generally. Um, and so it's a good time, yeah, to do gymnastics, lots of trot jumps, um, you know, things that you wouldn't normally do when you're galloping around in your outdoor ring. So mm-hmm. you can get a bit creative and and set, you know, set up set up some lines that that you wouldn't normally, you know, trot in, land, trot away, you know, all sorts of things that you wouldn't normally do. You can just play around with it especially due to the, you know, confines of, of the of the indoor you're in. Yeah. And the, the trot jumps and the gymnastics actually can be quite good for building strength for horses and their, you know, hind end and their core. Yeah, they can. You know, um, there's a guy, Devin Ryan, who actually just won an Olympic uh, at the World Championship. <laughs> he trots his horses up. Huge jumps and it, and it keeps them brave too. Like to think that they can trot down and just jump it, it, it really keeps them brave. And uh, so, and a lot of people hate. Tr- I don't love trotting jumps myself, but a lot of people <laughs> hate it. And uh, it's because of that feeling. You think, do you have the power? And, and it's amazing what they can do from that. So it's yeah. always good to know that in the back. Like if you get trapped in a water complex and you're trotting to a big jump, you might just be able to crawl over the other side just fine. Yeah. And that does happen too. I mean, more often yeah. than not. Um, and you know, back. Well, I say back in the day. I mean, a, a lot of old-fashioned, but of courses that there were places where you did have to actually trot, come to a trot to yeah. to do down a bank know, or something. Yeah, down a down a big bank, or you know, like for instance, you might have a trot step before you jump down the leaf pit at Burley because you don't want to gallop off there at a million miles an hour because there's a narrow four strides or five strides at the bottom that you've got to negotiate as well. So it's a, a good thing to learn how to do. But um, some of the things that, because obviously I train with Kirk because he's a New Zealander and um, it's a lot easier and to he's take, good. It, take, it, take instruction from. I was like, and no, he's good. No, I was just <laughs> about to go on. You didn't have to pay. Oh. You're you don't have to pay. Oh, that's, that's not nice. true. Yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. How's your body, right. by the way? I heard that you um, took a tumble at <laughs> Donkey Club. Yeah. yeah. Well, <clears throat> is it okay? That's prob- it, I'm okay. I'm okay. But you know what? It's probably um, it's probably your fault because um, you've got me. You've got that horse of mine, the little buccaneer. He's just so much more adjustable and better in the hand after all the training that I've done with Kirk that I that I over. <laughs> I overcorrected at um, at the keyhole, and that's what left me way too far away from it. But anyway, um, no, it's not your fault. It's my fault. But, um, you know, I'm okay, but I'm just a bit broken. Um, okay. Yeah, but I'm going to be all right. I'm going to go and have a yeah, drink. You can. I have a from drink the from creek. the Hard Creek. Yeah, and um, I'm fine. feeling a lot better. Yeah. <laughs> so boy, tell us boy. about. 
I know. Tell us about some of the gymnastics that you, you do. I mean, like Kirk works with um, a lot of Cavaletti work and stuff, and we've done um, a lot of Cavaletti work with Johnny, especially like big rows of bounces and that sort of thing because he was an extremely weak horse as a young horse, and he's getting a little bit better all the time. Um, but why don't you just explain a bit about that, Kirk? Uh, I like to, Actually, I like to do a lot with Cavaletti's on a circle where you – don't come in and you do a circle of um I said it so it's three strides, three strides. And it's always amazing to me how many horses do it beautifully one way and cannot do it the other way. And then I uh I quite often do that with a cavaletti and then a vertical that I can make bigger and you can really get them jumping up on a circle like that when they get the concept and it's the same thing. Generally, horses are better one way than the other, just like us. And um, and it's good to establish rhythm and realising that you don't have to run at a jump to jump big. Um, I think that's a little bit like with any um, gymnastic where you can actually jump bigger and you realise that you don't have to run and kick and pull and to have them really start ballooning the jumps. And so, yeah, I, I do, I do a lot with cavalettes like that, and I always like to have them just round and about, so you can, you know, practice training your eye, and and I, I find them really helpful for starting lead changes too. You know, when you've got one that's a little, yeah, uh, yeah. a little dicey on the lead change, and you can just always just canter to a cavaletti and fix it. You know, and that's and without creating too much fuss and then it sort of is, is went away people that, forgot about it yeah no it's true max yeah. um, when when you're talking about running to the fences is that something that um us eventers do more than than jumping people or is it is it a common failing of event people you know like we like to gallop at things and sort of go a bit too fast sometimes um i mean it, is it something that you've noticed i mean you've obviously you're training a lot of eventers now um is it well, it sounds like that's what you did at the jockey club, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> no, just, so, so you're an example in itself. No, um, well, they do a bit. I must say that, um, yeah, the I yeah, I do train quite a few, and they get it pretty quick. Um, that uh, that you don't have to be uh, so aggressive all the time. You know, in the end, it's the horse jumping the jump not you, and the less that you do, it, it generally means the better the horse goes. So um, we work on that quite a bit, you know, not chasing the horse, just try to make every stride the same, and then you generally end up finding a better distance as well because it's supposed to be easy, it's not supposed to be hard, and the, and the more that you work at it, generally you're making it harder than it should be. Yeah. Overdoing it and making yeah. it, yeah, making it difficult. So, speaking about the difference between eventers and and jumpers again, I mean, like the horses obviously are quite a bit different. Um, what are some of the things that come up in the training that you you find as compared to a jumping horse with an eventing horse, what are the, some of the things you, you, you look at and you go, oh, well, this is an event horse. It's a bit weak here or it's a bit weak there. I mean, is, uh, you, can you give me some examples? 
Well, the one that I come across the most is not a good lead change. That stuffs things up so easily, and I have so many people come where the horse doesn't have a great lead change. And that, in our game, is really tough. And it is, I think it is in yours too. And so that's, that's the one that comes out straight away because you're always, if a horse does a natural lead change, it, it's generally naturally balanced and, and, it, and life is a little easier when you're doing that. But when you're having to manufacture the lead change all the time or there isn't one, it really puts a spanner in the works, I find. And that's, that, that's probably the number one thing that I see that makes it uh, difficult. And it's ironic, too, because our horses are supposed to know how to do pretty lead changes, and they sometimes don't <laughs> without people well, sort of pushing them and pulling them and tugging them and kicking them, and yeah. Yeah, I, I think at advanced level, Max, yes, you know. Yeah. And I, I think that we're at, at, at the lower levels, training level and up to, say, preliminary level, you can – fudge along okay in the yeah, show jump without a, lead, without a lead change you know um the time is not that tight and no things. you can and, sort of and, scoot around in the counter yeah, yeah intermediate and on upwards um yeah. becomes quite a bit harder and that's probably why you know like if 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 the lead change was something that was really essential that we needed to do at the very lower levels um you know we would would probably do it but then again um a lot of those lower level riders that wouldn't know how to ride a lead change, you know, I mean, well, they, they try by throwing, hurling their body from one side <laughs> of the ring to the other and hoping the horse will land underneath them with the, yeah. on the, on the correct lead, which we all know isn't really the right way to do it. But yeah, no, it's a process. And I think that probably it's because, and maybe it's, and maybe it's a bit about people who never really wanted to teach the horses lead changes as young horses, because they're, they were worried that the horse would start doing changes in the test, yeah. you know, whereas, yeah. whereas in, in jumpers, it doesn't matter, does it? I mean, a good change is a change. Um, and it, it's got to have one too, Joe. Like I think like, yeah, I would in agree. The hunter world, in the hunter world, it's got to be perfect so that you just think lead change and the horse does it because. And, the, and they have to do these little old ladies scannering around. Yeah. They don't. They don't know what to do, how to do a lead change either. But they sit there, sit still, and the horse just does it, and it just makes it so much easier when you're riding around. Especially if, like, when we're training at home, the courses. I try to make them decently technical, and say you've got a broken line, and your horse lands on the wrong lead, and then you miss the lead change, and it's really like a six staying out in six strides and all of a sudden you've got to try to step you sort of get in trouble yeah. then and it gets hard yeah, yeah. so yeah. okay in the perfect world yeah you're not everyone's going to be able to afford a horse that can do that either but in the perfect world you, you would like to have horses that did that a little more naturally sure and so what about some other things i mean like the show jumping horses are you know, good show jumping horses are exceptionally careful, um, but they're also very brave and careful. Um, and compared to, you know, an event horse has got to be a lot more versatile. He's got to be able to do dressage. He's got to be able to gallop. 
cross country and you know be as economical as possible and then we have got to train him to go into the show jumping um with the with the eventing horses that you've come across um what are some of the i mean like when do you find ones that are a bit too careful that might be a show jumper or how do you how do you get them to do jump that clear round? i know it's a pretty loaded big question <laughs> um, i've got one usually uh eventers that are a bit gutless and meaning also that are really careful can be show jumpers i've got one now actually he's not a grand prix horse but he's a bit too careful to be a uh eventer so he's turned into a show jumper and he's beautiful to ride good mover that sort of thing so they can cross over but i find if we were to go to the the next thing about um, after the lead change, what's hardest? It's uh, you know having your horses be careful enough. Like a lot of them aren't careful enough, so it is it is difficult. You know, after cantering around a cross country, to have them come back and jump one thirty and and knock knock the poles down, and so you have to find a way to to have a system to produce a clear round under those circumstances. And I think that's where a lot of eventers struggle. You know, they're going back to their warm-up, how, like if you watch Marcus Enning or their warm-ups, you know, how they know to have their horses at at, the, at their peak the minute they walk into the ring after jumping half a dozen jumps. And yeah. I think that's a little bit what happens in your game. Yeah, I was you just going to ask, is it, is it the horse necessarily or is maybe. it the rider? Well, it's it's both. But you can, um, some riders can milk clear rounds out of horses. They're just gifted at it. Like for, and you when you talk to them and the, and the way they think, you know, they think, oh, I've got a, leave space there and take my leg off and let him try and then I can help him the next three jumps I think when you get to the upper upper levels of eventing you've got to be thinking along those lines to jump a clear round you know you yeah. have free jumps where like a triple bar you know could be a free jump for your horse so you don't have to try to help him there and if he's not a good vertical jumper whether you need to leave space or one time jam him in there just to make sure that he's on his game. It's yeah, you've got to it's every every horse is different and every ride is different. But I, I think that's a little bit where eventers suffer at the top level where they don't obviously you know, Michael Young's an expert at it. He's a wonderful show jumping rider and I'm sure he has has a great plan every time he goes in the ring eventing. And yeah. so it looks very simple for him. But I that that's what eventers I think need to work on a little bit. And the, and a plan. Do you notice? I mean, I notice this because I'm in both arenas. Um, the warm up is kind of interesting. Where you know, you guys, the show jumpers, like you said, jump six jumps, and it's might maybe a few more, maybe a few less, depending on your horse. You guys have an absolute plan of exactly what it is you're going to do for your horse. And you go in the ring and the eventers seem to just sort of go around and around and around and around and jump and jump and jump and jump and jump and jump and they've jumped, you know, 15 jumps before they get in the ring. 
Yeah, well, sometimes. One time, last year at the Jockey Club, a friend of mine, Ben Holberg, we we were waiting to watch the, uh, the main class, and we counted it at one lady jumping. 52 jumps, she jumped. Oh! And the horse jumped to clear around. <laughs> and the horse jumped to clear around. Yeah. yeah. And it was a phenomenal jumper. But we were thinking to ourselves, oh, my God, how can you jump so many jumps? So we started counting. Wow. Coming again and again and again and again and again until the poor horse actually did touch one. <laughs> so she could have gone after three jumps that was jumping that good. Wow. So then you've got to start thinking, well, who is she jumping for herself or for the horse's benefit? And it's obviously yeah. for herself. Right. And not having a plan. And, and that's probably fine because she, you know, she doesn't know that maybe she doesn't need to. You know, she's never known that I, I probably only have to jump three jumps and my horse is going to be great. Yeah. But see, yeah, every yeah. horse is different, but, like, you never Absolutely. need to be slaughtering them at, at yeah, the end I, of a three-day. Look, I think exactly, and I and, um, uh, have to say, Kirk's helped me a lot with this, and we do it a lot. Every jump's got to have a plan, and depending on how that jump goes, you, it makes the plan for the next jump and you're trying to work on six to eight jumps and and as little as possible um, so that the horse becomes as focused and as careful and as jumping as well as he can with as least amount of jumps as possible. And, and like I think a lot of the trainers, I, I worry that a lot of the show jumping trainers come along and feel like they need to, show their worth or earn their money and, 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 and make people just ride and ride and ride and jump and jump and jump. You know, right. I, I think this has gone on to the phenomenon of, of people at a three day, they, they bring the horse out and they give it a little jump in the morning before the, before the event. I mean, I don't, I personally don't believe in that. I think right. if that if you've got a problem with that, that should have been addressed a month ago, you know, and, so I just I just don't believe in that. I think if you can warm the horse up and get it jumping as best you can, but I, I, I worry. You no, know, and we see it at, at lower levels, and it's it, it's very frustrating and it's very annoying when people are teaching lessons in the warm up in the, the warm up yeah. ring and and screaming and things, and then building fences. And my pet peeve of all, Max, is when there's two oxes in the ring and one vertical, and some clown takes the oxer and makes a one stride. Yeah. yeah, yeah, out of it, and leaves <laughs> only one oxer up for the rest of the everybody else to warm up. Is yeah. I just I, I personally can't understand it, and I don't think it needs to be done. I don't think you're not going to see Michael jump, Young jumping a one stride, and I think it's just stuff that people have invented to 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 make them the riders feel that they're being trained. Right. You know. Right. Whether so, you're running well, the track. Well, it's interesting yeah. you talking about uh, like having a vertical and two oxes. So generally, when we go to a show, we have three jumps, and they are, and and they are. You could make them into an ox or a vertical. There's enough standards in that, and yep. that is plenty to have your own jump and plan your own warm up. And but when I go to an event, you probably have more jumps, but it's so crazy. I don't understand. Everyone is. Can I jump that? Can I? Because realistically, three jumps is plenty. That gives you probably four to five horses in front of you to get ready. And so that's plenty of time. We do it every week. 
with three jumps and there's it's never a problem. And then when I get to an event, it just doesn't seem to be able to work that way. And I do wonder if that's because everyone is, wants to jump a million jumps and jump combinations. And I also see a lot trying to crash through the jump thinking they're going to get a smack and that's going to make it yeah. really careful. If you watch the really good guys like McLean and and Andre Tima, they're looking for a touch, you know, maybe touch a back bar in front. And, and it's and a, get a it's touch. A touch. It's never just it's, running them through. No, and it's it's a touch. Yeah, it's not yeah. a hit. It's a touch, exactly like you say. Yeah. And so yeah. you can't be like looking to kill them all the time, and it it just um, amuses me a little bit how how unorganised the warm up is in general. You should have three jumps, and you have plenty of room at all your events, and that is more than enough for every person to have their own jump because you only need it five before you go yeah. and there's one in the ring and there's one at the end gate waiting to go in and then there's three jumps and you have plenty of time so how important that, is it for the eventers to go practice show jumping at a jumping show oh i think it's good yeah because they get the opportunity to go into the ring with no pressure um, yeah and so you can really focus on riding properly and not thinking, oh, I have to help him. I have to milk it to get around because I've got to, you know, yeah. I've got to finish on my dressage school. Whereas yeah. in the, you can work on it and and, and it, I think it's, you can jump, you know, three or four rounds over a couple of days. And then it also gives you an idea of starting to figure out a plan, you know, like for your warm up and how you want to ride it in the course. Do you need to trot it up and show it the second jump and then away you go, you know? You have an idea yeah. of what you can do. And so it's good. And then it becomes simple. Like if you're going and jumping around a metre 30 four days a week at the um, at a horse show and then you go to an event, it's going to seem like a breeze. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. If you're doing that well, it's all of a sudden show jumping pretty easy you know and so that's the way I, I would do it when you when you've got a bit of downtime yeah yep and it doesn't kill the horses like you know if you're not jumping you <laughs> you're not you jumping jump 52 warm two rounds a day. <laughs> no <clears throat> if you're jumping half a dozen warm-ups not 52 yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah exactly uh so. i know who this is max i'll tell you later okay yeah, yeah. um <laughs> Well, Kirky, here's an important question. What's your favorite eventing jumping show? Well, a mate of mine called Scott Keach. He's Australian. <laughs> he can be a bit of a grumpy old bugger at times, but he's a good mate of mine. And he's a great rider. He, at his place, they have this eventing. And they put on a bit of coin, too, so it's quite good. Because that really gets you eventers nervous when you've got to jump for a little bit of money. Yep. And so I love it. And there's a great party afterwards. It's a beautiful farm. The hosts are magnificent from Southern Cross. And uh, I love that. That's that's my favourite. Probably my favourite show. Yes, I it is. Right How, you forgot the great barbecue. Yeah, we good oh, barbecue. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> is, a good, yeah. is it happening again this year? Heck yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, March yes. 4th and 5th. Yeah. Yep. yep we're working on we're trying to we're trying to increase the prize money. So yep, we're doing it. Good. 
And I, I, it's good. I reckon it's great for eventers to, um, you know, have the opportunity to jump for good money and over, you know, a nice course like that. It's good experience. Yep. I actually, uh, a few years ago, we used to be able to, as show jumpers, come and um, a couple of times we'd have a cross event. Oh, yeah, we had the where We cross. would do the cross country. Yeah, and yeah, then, yeah, yeah. And, um, and the show, uh, the uh, the eventers would do the show. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. It's a shame they don't have those sort of things still. I know. They but, just, uh, unfortunately, we didn't, the, there was not enough traction for sponsorship to keep that going, but it was, it was really fun. Yeah. I enjoyed yeah. it. It was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because the show jumpers are pretty scared too. They don't love galloping at jumps. <laughs> and jumping water and jumping ditches and things. So it's it's a good role reversal. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But the more yeah. crossover in, in the sports, the better, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to uh, for sure. You know, we're, we're pretty lucky here in Ocala. We've got a little bit, you know, the, the show's just down the road and, um, you know, uh, there's eventing here There's and a lot of show jumping here and, you know, some dressage and, you know, it's nice when people can cross, you yeah, know, cross we're, train. We're, we've also got, we've also got fantastic training days that are put on as well. Yeah. Um, at, um, at Mardanza and at the Fredericks Equestrian and, um, Justine Dunn's, yeah. um, Notting Hill Stables. I mean, like they, they put on schooling days uh, for us and things so that you can go and jump and courses are well built and the fences are fantastic and things. And there's a lot of events there and you can network and sell a horse or two or whatever. I mean, it's um, try out, yeah. Try a new yeah. bit, try out, you know, just different things you want to. Yeah. I, I go to them too. I yeah. Go to them too. Yeah. Good value for money, you know, and for the, you the young horses for sure. A few extra yeah. jumps, it's fine. Yeah. 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 Right. Great idea. Yeah. Um, well, Kirk, thank you so much for coming on again and having a chat to us and um, for giving me all the stick that you'd love to do all the time. <laughs> and if anyone yeah, okay. wants, and if anyone wants a real laugh, if anyone wants a bit of entertainment, you can come round and watch one of my lessons with Kirk when I train. Yeah. <laughs> And if you, a little bit of flagrant language and you <laughs> this, that, and the next thing, it's all, it's all pretty funny, but, um, but no, it's, it's good fun and we learn a lot and, um, it's brilliant and it's not my, not the highlight of my trip, but one of the highlights of going over to Kirk's is you can stop at the BP station on the way oh, back for tacos. Oh, really good Mexican. Yeah. So <laughs> Which good. Is yeah, that is on, good actually. Oh, I know. Really well, it's good. on. On twenty on twenty seven up the hill from the sanctuary, it um, yeah. authentic Mexican there, um, which is absolutely amazing. I know that it's inexpensive and delicious. Mm. It's a little really bit good. off the topic, yeah. Um, but yeah, Kirk, thanks so much for coming back on the show and yeah. um, telling us all about it. Okay, and we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Well, it's always great to have Kirk on the on the show, isn't it, Max? Yeah, he's a good man. Yeah, he's a good man. He is. He's really cool. Don't get them talking about politics, though. That's bad. Well, it's bad in your house. It's not bad in my house. <laughs> That's <fine. laughs> yeah. We do just yeah, fine. Yeah. And he's got a, no, his I'm... wife is one of the finer humans. Yeah. No, she's yes. absolutely gorgeous, Robin. Yes. Yeah. yeah. No, and fantastic I... children. It's a good family. We like them. 
Yeah. They are. They are fantastic. Yes. <laughs> right. Well, Max, it's probably time. Uh, if we get, we're getting to that, that stage where it's we're going to try and think of something really exciting for you listeners uh, next. But there's just not next. much happening right now. Well, no, we'll, we'll cover Puanui. Um, yes. And we'll, oh, yeah, we'll that's right. Yep. From that, that's coming up, which is yep. which is good. Um, so we'll see how that goes and things. And, and if anybody uh, has any topics they want us to talk down during this downtime, please send us a message on Facebook. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And um, or, or send them an email to either one of us because um, yeah, we uh, it's well, quite this time of year. Yeah, we'd love a bit of feedback, wouldn't we, Max? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Be con- be constructive with your feedback. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Right, Maxwell. Talking about feedback and shows That's and the end of it. It's about time you wrapped it up. All right. Well, thank you everyone for listening to the Eventing Riders Association of North America podcast. You can learn more about Eventing Riders Association of North America at eraofna.com. You can find the links to today's guests and topics at eventingradio.com. Follow Eventing Radio on Facebook. Just search the Eventing Radio Show and on Twitter at Eventing Radio. Listen to the Eventing Radio anytime, anywhere with the free Horse Radio Network app for iPhone and Android. Go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. You can also subscribe via iTunes. This is Max, and you can find me on Max Corcoran Horse Care or on Facebook and uh, the Eventing Pre-Invitational. You can find me on Instagram at MMC338 and Twitter at MMC338. And this is Joe, and you can find me on my website, joemeyereventing.com. You can follow me on Twitter, joemeyereventr. You can find me on Instagram, joemeyereventing, and on Facebook, joemeyer. Well, Max, it's um, been another great show, and thank you, listeners, and we'll talk to you again in two weeks' time. Bye, everyone.